want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It's good to be here. Good to be with believers meeting. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. With some messages like council meeting and communion um, that come around regularly twice a year, but we're on a rotation, we're doing it every three times. I try to go back and make sure I'm not just saying the same things, but there is only, there are only so many passages in talking about this, and so we, I will be looking at some of the same passages I've looked at before, but hopefully in a fresh way, a new way that's encouraging and challenging to all of us, including myself. After I read this passage, and I have three questions for us to think about, but let's go ahead and read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. And then I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 27. Um, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning for the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And I'm going to stop there. This is why we come together for council meeting. But I have some questions. Um, I'm not necessarily going to ask for verbal answers, but if you have, if you want, if you feel led to answer, that is fine, but... So we have this passage talking about examining ourselves, but why do we have council meeting? Many churches today don't do council meeting or even preparatory service. They just do communion. Why do we do council meeting? Anybody brave enough to try to answer that? The simple answer I have is because we do communion. If we didn't have communion, we wouldn't need to do council meeting. Why do we do communion? The Bible says we should. Jesus commanded it. And so to be obedient to Jesus' command, we do communion. But then it's kind of a circle argument back to why did we do council meeting then? It's because of God's command. But there are many churches that claim to be obedient to God's word that don't have, and they could have a different name to it, but as far as I know, there are many churches that don't really have something like this council meeting. So why do we do it? And if your answer is because we're Anabaptists, I don't really like that answer. I don't think that's a good response it's because we are commanded 
to examine ourselves, and I think this is a good way. It's not that no believer, no the believers who don't have a service for it don't examine themselves, but I believe it's good to take special time like this morning to think about this. But I also think there's another reason why a lot of churches don't practice something, even even if it's different format or even if it's the morning of communion, but. It goes back to what they believe about a believer and the possibility of falling, falling away from the truth. There are many churches today that believe that there's almost nothing you can do to lose your salvation. And so if you can't lose your salvation, why would you need to examine yourself before communion? But I believe we recognize that this is not true. That people can fall, they can fail, even though they have walked with Christ. And I just heard someone uh, on a podcast that I listened to, I don't listen to it for the spiritual things, but I listen to it for um, current events and that kind of thing. But this man would also push this belief that you can't lose your salvation and so I think people with that kind of viewpoint it pushes them into some practices and beliefs that are not healthy and so the idea is often given that well if someone falls away they never real were truly a believer I think that is that is very dangerous that can cause a lot of people who who struggle with assurance of salvation when they see someone fall away and they have this idea, well, they must not have ever been really truly saved, then they start doubting their own salvation. What, well, am I truly saved? Am I just going to fall away because I'm not truly saved? And I think we can look back on different people. Those of you who are older, maybe if you're younger, it's harder to think about this. But people who have fallen away from Salvation in God from the truth. People who grew up here at Salem. And there may have been a few that were pretenders who never truly walked with God. But I think for the most part, most truly were saved, did have a relationship with Christ, but then through one reason or another fell away. And that's one of the important reasons why we want to examine ourselves so that we can look at our lives and make sure we're walking in the way we should before it's too late, before our hearts have grown cold. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read most of the chapter here. It's a little long, but I felt like there's a lot of important truths here. Second Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false prophets among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the earth of the un- upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of, unto those that after should live ungodly. I'm just going to pause there for a moment. But we see here that there's a warning here that there are going to be those, hopefully not here at our our own church, but I believe when he's speaking among you, meaning that in the worldwide body of believers, there are always going to be false teachers. There are always going to be those that are trying to draw true believers away from Christ. And so we need to be aware of that. We shouldn't just be naive and go, well, they say they're a Christian, so it's all one big happy family. But no, recognize that there always will be false teachers, even if there aren't any in our local body. But we need to be aware of that. We also need to be careful of those who would teach um, false teaching, especially thinking of those. Maybe you would take this these first couple verses differently, but... What I took from that is that they're teaching that basically other ways of salvation other than Christ. Teaching almost the idea that they were they they are the ones, they're the key to salvation. And we know there are teachers today like that that teach how you can get to God through yourself, almost a self-worship. But we need to be careful of that, that we cannot save ourselves of our own good works, but it must be through Christ. Going on then, verse 7, And delivered just lots, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for, it righteous, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment, to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these are as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruptions." And they sh- and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are, are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and cannot cease from sinning, beguiled, unstable souls, and heart, they exercise with covetous practices, cursed children, which having forsaken the right way. And are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with the man's voice. 
forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through wantonness, those that were clean, clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. For if after they had escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened unto them according to the true proverb, a dog is turned into his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. We should not think that just because the world has stood for somewhere around 3,500 years since the flood, that God won't judge the world for sin, that God won't judge us as individuals for sin. He did it to all those that were alive during Noah's day, except for Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives. Why would, why would he spare us or not judge us? So we need to be careful. And thirdly, from this passage, I think we need to be aware that just because someone was delivered once, just because we were delivered from sin and shown the way of righteousness doesn't mean that we can't fall back in. It actually gives a warning that if, if we do, our end will be worse than the beginning. It seems to imply that even though sin is sin, going back into sin, now that there's knowledge that sin, of what sin is, and knowledge of righteousness, it's more destructive than before. And I believe this, there's a couple of reasons why this can be, but one of them is that even as hard as it is for a sin-blackened heart to come to Christ the first time, that if we fall back into sin, into gross sin, it becomes even almost impossible to come back to God. Not that it's impossible. I want to emphasize the word almost. We know in Scripture, God says, with all, I mean, all things are possible with him. When the disciples, when Jesus said, told the disciples how hard it would be for a rich man to enter heaven, the disciples said, well, how can they? And God, and God promised there that it is possible. So even with those that have fallen away the second time, salvation is still possible as long as there's breath and life. But we need to recognize that there's greater risk of a person never being able to return to God because of the hardness of their hearts. Another thing that council meeting is not, um, or, or one of the things that it's not, we should never confuse it with thinking that it's similar to a Catholic confession. It's not some place that we come, we make everything right with God, and then we just go back to our way, old ways as soon as communion is over. And we can do whatever we want for six months. But it should be a time of growth that each time we examine our hearts and our lives that we grow closer to God. 
Because if we don't, God will eventually turn us over to a reprobate mind. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter four, I want to begin at verse one. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified that he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who will both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Ultimately, today we give account to God, not to man. Yes, we are accountable as a brotherhood. We are accountable to each other. But ultimately, we are here to be examined by God, to examine our hearts, to allow God to examine us. There are times that we can see obvious sin in a brother or sister in the church, and there needs to be accountability, the thing needs to be dealt with. But there are also things that at council meeting time that, as we examine our hearts, it may be attitudes that only God can see that he needs to bring to our minds that need to be taken care of. And there are times we may feel like a brother or sister really needs to, isn't where they are, they should be. But if it's not sin, then I think we need to leave that with God and allow God to work in and through their hearts. And so we need to be careful not turning council meeting into a time where we just sit there and pick apart our brother or sister. Recently, we went through the faith and practice, and just a few months ago, we looked at the section on dealing with misunderstandings and disagreements in the brotherhood. And I recognize that at times, those things can can blow up into big things, and it can be difficult to have peace, the peace that we should have to go through communion but I also appreciated the, 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 what we put in there that we borrowed from some other statements of faith and practice of how to go through those things. When it's, not just, when it's not dealing with sin, but just dealing with things that we may disagree with each other from time to time, how to work through that. Turn with me to Matthew 18. I'm not going to take time to go through all of it, but just as a reminder, Matthew 18... Uh, beginning at verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thy nine offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. 
Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Jesus recognized that there will be times where people get offended. There will be times where there are disagreements. But he's also saying, do what you can. I I believe he's saying, do what you can to not be the one that causes those offenses. Do what you can to live peaceably with others. But if that offense arises because we are human, we fail, we make mistakes... Uh, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, and go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, and thou hast gained thy brother, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let it be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. And this would be more than going on to dealing with sin. There are ways and healthy ways to deal with these things. And we need to be careful that as brothers and sisters that we do it in a godly, Christ-like way. But there's also times where we will offend people and we need to be careful. Turn with me now to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Why do I read this passage? There are people today that are afraid to offend the world. And Christ acknowledges here, or Peter talking about Christ acknowledges the fact that he is going to cause offense when it comes to um, the preaching of Christ his word and living in obedience to it I would say in the last 150 years that most Christians in America have been able to live here relatively without offending the world around us but that is changing There are people that are offended when we live out our lives in a Christ-like manner. But recognizing that they're not offended at us, they're offended of Christ. It's different than just us being unkind to a neighbor, being dishonest in a business dealing. That would be offenses against us. But if we're living in obedience to the Bible and to the New Testament commands of Christ there are going to be offenses against Christ. In those cases, we should not apologize, we should not back down, but recognize that there are going to be those who are offended 
by it. So when we say today that we have peace with God and our fellow men, we should have peace with God and our fellow men within the brotherhood, but it may not always be possible outside of that. What if the government authorities are offended that we are meeting and preaching the gospel? I believe at that point we are to put it in God's hands and to be obedient. Today there are Christians being around the world being thrown into prison for simply obeying God's word. Many of you are probably aware, but I felt it was very applicable to talk about this this morning. There's a church in Alberta, Canada today that has a chain link fence put up around it so that the believers cannot meet. The local government is offended by their obedience to Christ. You may not agree, I may not agree with everything that the church, the pastor, believes. But I believe the offense is not, does not have anything to do with COVID. I believe it has to do with their following of the Bible. And I believe there's a time coming where that will be true here too. It's not a matter of if, just a matter of when. But we need to be careful that we don't hurt the name of Christ. There's also, in Alberta, a Canadian pastor that you may have heard of in the last week, who last Sunday had like seven or eight Canadian police officers come into his church Easter morning. And for those of you who heard or saw the clip, I don't believe that was a proper way to handle it. He was saying mean things to the police, calling them terrible names. I believe that is causing offense that has nothing to do with the gospel. So we have to be careful how we present the truth and our obedience to Christ. But there will be offense at some point. Jesus said there would be. He said that we would suffer for Christ. We need to have the Holy Spirit's guidance and wisdom to know when and how we should stand for the truth. And I also want to, in closing, acknowledge the fact that there's been disagreement here, even at Salem, in how to respond to COVID. And I want to say that if there are those who feel like there's an offense between us because of that, I want you to come to me before communion so we can come, hopefully come to a peace even if we don't come to an agreement on it. Because I recognize that in a brotherhood we don't all have to agree on everything to still have peace. But our goal should be to have peace within the brotherhood. I'd like to read Romans 8.
as we think of examining ourselves this morning, being able to recognize whether what we're struggling with inside is from Satan trying to discourage us or if it's God trying to prod us, the Holy Spirit trying to prod us into uh, changing something in our life. There is therefore now no, no, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sent, God sending his own Son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We could not save ourselves, even the Jews who were obedient to the law in every way possible could not save themselves. I believe that God had allowed that, had the Jews lived through that with the law, partially to show us today, to show all mankind that even with the law, we needed Christ because we were not able to do it on our own. Picking up at verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but are in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you live through the spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led of the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if ye had not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. If we are Christ, we should expect that we may have to suffer. But it, as it says here, it's nothing to be compared with what will come in glory. We have so much to look forward to that whatever suffering we may suffer here, it just doesn't compare with spending eternity with him. But the amazing thing is that if we have not turned our lives over to Christ, then yes, we are dead because of the sin in our life. But if we are believers, we can have hope and life, and he can give us forgiveness of sins and give us the strength to walk in righteousness. And then I want to read uh, verses 31 through 39. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with 
also, him also freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's, elect, of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I hope that's your heart's cry. I hope that's your where you're at today. That even though the last 12, 13 months have been difficult in some ways, that we can say that nothing can separate us from God's love, that we can be faithful to him And I hope that each one of us can also find peace if we're struggling, if there's areas of disappointment, of discouragement, that we can turn to Christ. The Lord bless each one of you. And I hope the message was encouraging.